We're going to look at two texts. And the first uh, is just one verse. It's John 20, verse 21. And the second is Mark 6, 1 through 13. And I know I said we'd be taking a break from Mark, but I am cheating this morning. I'm just going to freely admit it. Totally cheating. Uh, In part, I want to get us one step closer to finishing Mark. Because I'm worried that if I don't finish by 2015, you may go on a decade-long Mark diet. It's also called the Mark Cleanse, if you will, where you just go like a decade spending every morning reading the Gospel of John, nothing for lunch, and then a psalm and a Facebook inspiration before you go to bed, okay? (laughs) Something like that. We don't want that. We, we love this gospel. We want you to love it. Let's get one step closer this morning to finishing it. So turn in your Bible to John chapter 20, verse 21. That's on page 776. 776, if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so now I am sending you. Now, this occurs after Jesus' resurrection, and just before he's going to physically leave his disciples and ascend into heaven, but he's been preparing them for this all along, as we read in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. So turn there, that's on page 717, very nearby. Let's read that together. Jesus went away from there, and he came to his hometown, which you might remember is Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out, uh, sorry, he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. So I want you to start to see what's happening here. All right? What has happened is Jesus has been sent, he has preached, he has given a message. And simultaneously, right after that is concluded, what does he do? He sends out the disciples. Again, just as the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus sends his disciples. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place won't receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They should turn 
from their sin, from living life the way they want to live, and turn to God. And they cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. It's God's word. The key moment of this scripture, I think, comes right there in verse 7, this turning point. One, it's a big turning point in general. Jesus has been preaching and teaching and healing and casting out and preparing. All of a sudden, he sends out those disciples, the messengers. What does he say? He called the twelve and he began to send them. And that's it right there. Calling and sending. And that's the message this morning, by the way, in a nutshell. If you get nothing else, you hear nothing else, hear this. God calls us in to send us out. He calls us in to send us out. First of all, I don't want us to overlook the fact that we are called by his grace, by his mercy, by God's goodness, that we didn't deserve it. God, through Jesus Christ, calls rebels like you and like me. We got to see that because therein lies the storehouses of fuel with which we might go out and last in going out, last in showing others the good news and preaching it and teaching it to them. Listen to some of these promises that come with being called by Jesus Christ into a relationship with Him. Yet to all who receive Him, those who would trust in his name. His name, by the way, Jesus means Yahweh saves. God saves. Those who trust that God saves through Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. People who weren't his children. People who weren't born into God's family by simple trust in him. They have the right to be adopted into his eternal family forever. It's amazing. Here's another one uh, about calling. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. He made them just. He made it declared a just ruling. You are just in front of God, not guilty any longer. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Us, human beings, ones who wake up every day with the crazy hair and the bad breath, look yourself in the mirror, you're like, I don't know if I can get this to work. He glorifies. Let me give you one more. 1 Peter 2, 9-10. through 10. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He might proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So he calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's amazing at grace. But the call, friends, is a double call. You're called in to go out. We see this here. We saw it earlier in Mark also when Jesus called Simon and Andrew. Do you remember this moment? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. People who go out and catch men. So the first two things he says is, Follow me. I'm calling you to me, into a relationship with me. Second thing, fish. 
called to fish on the first day. Many of us will protest, well, you know, sharing the good news with living persons, right? It's not just not my thing. You know, it's not my gift. I'm not a behind-the-scenes person, or I'm a support person, or I'm kind of a friendly person, but I don't like to do that. Or I'm a musical person, I'm an artistic person. It's not my gift. I'd rather not. So my first question to you is, do you think all 12 apostles were given the spiritual gift of evangelism? They're all sent out. Two by two, that's six times two. You think all of them were gifted in evangelism? Especially considering that the 12 represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and thus all of God's people to come. I don't think so. I don't think so. They don't really know what spiritual gifts were at that point, by the way. Nor did they have the permanency of the Holy Spirit indwelling in them yet. Furthermore, spiritual gifts are simply supernatural intensifications of what God calls us to do anyhow. Supernatural intensifications of what God calls you and I to do anyhow. So, for example, to show hospitality, to exercise faith, and to evangelize, to share the good news. All of us are called. Now, there is a spiritual intensification which some of us are called to do that more often and to lead others in that. I just, want to, I just want to start to break down the barriers we all have. All the questions and the objections we bring in to sharing the good news with those friends, neighbors, coworkers who don't yet know Jesus. We make those excuses. Are you the exception? That's what it comes down to, right? I know we want to be. I, guys, I feel this so much that I, I, anyone but me, Lord, while there is no exit hatch or eject button for this double call, the good news is there are hints of promises and divine support in this text in Mark. So I want to share with you very five very brief observations, that's all this morning, about God sending us to reach out. To reach out and, and some vision of how we might do this as a church. So the first thing we see here, or one of the things we see here, is that we're sent with authority. We're sent with authority. We're given two types of authority that are only foreshadowed here in this text, right? Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits. You see later on, they have this authority to cast them out. We are sent with the permanent authority, friends. The disciples didn't even have at this time the permanent authority of the Holy Spirit in us to pray, to cast out, to move mountains, you've trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you to do all of these things. You just but ask. The obstacles that seem so large in the hardened hearts of your friends, neighbors, co-workers, the things that might prevent them, oh, to Jesus, they are nothing to the Holy Spirit who can move mountains. In fact, the John verse we read earlier, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you The next action by Jesus is breathing on his disciples the Holy Spirit. And he leaves them. Gives them a commission. Breathes out the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Bye-bye. See ya. Right? You got everything you need. It's amazing. He clothes his disciples, including us, permanently from on high. But why? Acts chapter 1 tells us to be his witnesses. To say, I've seen Jesus. I've seen him work in my life. I've seen what he does. I've seen him to repair 
my marriage, to bring peace where there was no peace. That's the first way we were sent with authority. Another way is we see they were sent out and proclaimed, right? Proclaim this repentance. We are sent with the gospel. Oh, how great is that? The power of salvation, we're told. According to Romans 1.16, we have this message that has an inherent power to break down walls and barriers. That message is this, that God is good and completely perfect. But we all, like kind of dumb sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way, living for himself or herself. And even with our best efforts, we fall short of God's standard. The Bible calls it the glory of God. God's love, though, is so dogged, so persistent, passionate, that he still wants us back. Even though we've said no to God, no to God, no to God, he has a plan to get us back. God sent the solution of himself in the form of a man to live the perfect life we couldn't so he could die the death that we deserved. So, die in our place. He proved his claims to be the one who could reconcile us to God, the perfect one, when he rose from the dead. So now all who trust their life to him might have life eternal starting now good news so we're sent with authority we're also sent to grow we see that in this passage it's hard to go share your faith i know that but you get to grow you get to be grow in grace and you get to grow to be more like jesus like christ in grace we get to experience god's love made active when we go and proclaim we see here in verse nine he charged them to take nothing for their journey Except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But you get to bring sandals, and, but only one tunic, not two, right? So you get the, uh, the basic shirt, no undershirt, basically, in this, all right? You got to wear it the whole time. You got to smell. It's okay. It's enough. Imagine you're about to go on a trip, right? You, you know, I don't know if you're one of those people who lays out things on your bed or you just kind of stuff it. Last minute. Either way, if you're a layer or a stuffer, doesn't matter. Or you're, you're a Ziploc bagger. I know some of you like that as well. Or you're like, Ziploc bag in this compartment, and now this one there over here. You got that one as well. It's okay, too. Imagine laying everything out for a trip on your bed. Then, then you leave everything behind except your skibbies, a coat, and a toothbrush. All right, everything else stays back. Going away for two weeks, week vacation. That's it. You might feel a little bit exposed. You might feel a little unprepared. Uh, what, you just, where's this going to come from? What am I going to do? I'm going to go to a foreign country. The barest essentials, though, force the disciples to experience physically what their mission will require spiritually. Total trust and radical dependence on God's provision. Right? They would experience, you know, tangibly with their wallet, with what they're wearing, but they have to rely on for God spiritually, which was, how are we going to do this? We barely even know Jesus. Do you notice that, by the way, as well? This is amazing. They, they, they don't, it's not until actually Mark chapter 8 where we see that they confess Jesus to be the one, the Christ. They finally see it for themselves. They're actually going with an incomplete message. 
And I think that's why we're told here they don't proclaim a message of repentance and belief in the good news because they don't know the good news yet. They don't trust the good news. I think they just go out and say, you know what? Turn from your sins. Go hear Jesus. We know like what he, he has to say something really important. That's why we're following him. We don't quite get it yet, but go see for yourself. Can you imagine? You're not even prepared with the message fully. We, friends, at Sunrise, our leadership, we're going to prepare you as we send you, as you'll see in a moment. But you know what? It'll never be enough. We'll never be able to prepare you enough. It'll always feel like less than you could use, than you could have. But that's how God works. In the wisdom of God. That's how he shows himself great and to step into that gap we talked about last week. And to work, to grow your trust as you go and you share that Jesus' grace is enough. You get to experience that his grace is enough. That's wonderful. So you grow by grace and you grow more like Christ too. Uh, Jesus got the message right. right. When he goes into his hometown, he gets in the synagogue, he preaches. All signs pointed to yes. Right? He's in his hometown, right? Comfort zone. This is my wheelhouse. People are astonished, right? Great response. They're asking all the right questions. Look at that in verse 2. They're saying, where did this man get these things? Good question. What is the, where's the wisdom given him? Great question. How are such mighty works done by his hands? All terrific questions. They get to what's going on here. Who is this man? And yet, they all reject him. People took offense at him, as it says in verse 3. In other words, what I'm saying here is you, you can be in your house. People can just come to you. People can admire your life, your wife, your family. And, and, and they're asking you, man, what makes Jesus different? Is it a religion or a relationship? You're like, I can answer that. What do I got to do to be a Christian? Yes! Beautiful. What must I do to be saved? I never got that question before. Let me tell you the answer to that. All these things, like, can you take me to church? Let's do this, right? All these questions, conditions are ideal. And you still get more rejection than reception. You still get more rejection than reception. I can't promise you, friends, that when you go out and share the good news, even, I mean, even in a mighty work of God, I would still expect rejection. He anticipated this for his disciples, right? In verse 11, he talked about those who do not receive you, not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. I won't get into what that means. It's pretty interesting, actually. We don't have time. But whether rejection or reception, it's a win-win. When you share the good news about Jesus, it's clearly a win if someone trusts Christ, right? There is no Holy Spirit adrenaline rush like someone who says, I believe this. I trust this. I, I think I'm a Christian. And it is amazing. And friends, I want you to have a taste of that in your life. But it's a win-win even with rejection. I can't tell you how many verses the New Testament are aimed to comfort, encourage, affirm that you are on the right track when you are rejected for sharing the good news about Jesus. From the final blessing of the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew to the heritage and sonship promise in Revelation 21, it's all there. Uh, I'll just give you one real quick. 1 Peter 4, 12-14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice 
insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted, for notice, for the name of Christ, not insulted because you're a good person, not insulted because you're a hard worker at work, necessarily. You're insulted just because, right? Insulted for the name of Christ. For saying, hey, Jesus saves. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. So, so with authority sent to grow, sent together as well. We are sent together. Now, give us a little breathing room here. I just want to share a little story, uh, or just a little testimony, that since the summer, I've, I've got a chance to meet for some intense discipleship uh, with three amazing guys who over the past uh, year have trusted their lives to Christ. And it's been awesome. We're going through these four interactive things together, praying together, holding each other accountable. But their introduction to Jesus is, is so much a team effort. Their growth, their inclusion in the church, a team effort of the body of Christ coming together to minister to these blokes. It's been awesome. And so my friend Ben Fisher is convicted through God's Word in our First John series. Entrusted Christ in him, but he was invited by Terry Howard, who also bought for him like a, all the, basically all the books on the book table, essentially. Thank you, Terry, for that. Thank her later. She recently got hitched and moved back to South Africa. She was encouraged along by all those who attended the Art of Marriage Seminar who were part of the summer, uh, Kevin and Maggie's summer community group. It was a team effort, people coming together to reach out. My, my friend Levain, usually sits back there, um, a.k.a. Pilo, a.k.a. Coach, you know him by. Great guy, you know, Coach. He's befriended by guys like Ray Jones and Gordon McRae as well. Um, he joined up with those that, that team that went on missions to uh, Tegucigalpa and Honduras, and they encouraged him along. And this is a team effort. You hear what I'm saying? Finally, my man Sam Sage, and a lot of you guys know Sam's good friend, Sam and Kelly. In fact, he was supposed to share a testimony today, hence the mic, but his family got pretty ill. People get sick. But he and Kelly were invited to Sunrise by a number of you guys. That's part of their testimony. And people who would give them opportunities to grow into fellowship, like, like Isadora and Ralda, who, who would take their kids and play with them so they could fellowship, so they could get to know more Christians. It's awesome. Befriended by those in the church. And we see this here, right, in this passage. They're sent out two by two. But the wisdom for this two by two idea actually you first hear about in the Old Testament, though, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, where we're told that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, right? The reward of being together, for working together. And if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. As though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Team effort. Success of this kind of program is Significant because it becomes a strategy for the book of Acts, right? For the start of the church. If you look at the first half of Acts, very little of it is big crowd evangelism and certainly not as a strategy. It's almost exclusively people going out two by two, right? To share the good news with others. And yet we're so stubborn still about, well, come to us, come to us. But yet we see the pattern in God's word go out 
to people, invite them, ask them good questions, share with them the love of Christ and what he's done in your life. It's a group effort. It's a small group effort. So, accordingly, leaders of small groups or community groups have been meeting, as well as our elders, (laughs) since the end of last spring to pray and discuss how we might leverage what we feel like is the backbone of our church to reach out to our neighbor with authority and in order to grow together. How might we link arms and still look outward? You know what I mean by that? There's something about linking arms together, right? And looking to serve other people. So what we're going to do, starting in March, is have a temporary season of community groups of seven weeks. And we've delayed this a couple times. I'll explain more later. But when each community group will multiply into two dinner groups, unless your group is small already, but multiply into two dinner groups to allow room to invite friends, neighbors, coworkers who don't yet know Jesus haven't been introduced yet to him. And they're going to be introduced to Jesus using material called Christianity Explored. All right? Christianity Explored. It's been around for almost 15 years. Now, there are a lot of time-tested, seeker-aim, small group materials out there like Alpha, Investigating Christianity, and the like that are great. But we're going to go with this one because, A, it utilizes the Gospel of Mark. Whoop, whoop. Gospel of Mark, we've been preparing ourselves. That's not a coincidence, by the way. Um, And it encourages people to focus any life-changing decision solely on the person of Jesus. To make their decision on what they do about their life, about their future, just on the person of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And that's part of our mission, right? To introduce people to Jesus. It lines up so well. Uh, And so, we'll utilize this. Uh, We'll go through seven sessions which are, here are the seven sessions. What are we doing here? Number one. Two is identity. Who is Jesus? Three is sin. Why did Jesus come? Four, the cross. Why did Jesus die? Five, the resurrection. Why did Jesus rise? Six, grace. How can God accept us? Seven, come and die. What does it mean to follow Jesus? So, and I would also say, if these questions interest you, I would encourage you that what a great time to join a community group or dinner group is in March, right? Basics of the faith, Join up. But a number, uh, we have a number of these participant manuals in the back. I want to encourage you, take a little time at the end of the service. Look at these. Uh, we've got one here. This one is the more extensive one. Uh, I've got also a simpler version, like a you know, simple version. See, it's a little thinner. And what we'll do is we'll give each, commu- each dinner group the option to choose either one. Whichever one you think is better for your group. After the message today, we're also going to show a video of the first sort of uh, session to see how good this stuff is. It's really good. So if you want to stay afterwards and watch that do, we're going to start in March. That will help us conclude the week leading up to Easter. I know a lot of people both leave Easter weekend. Also, it's a great time for celebration. So there's that. All this month, myself, Pastor Brett, perhaps an elder, will come and visit each community group to share vision, show session one, and answer questions. And we also have flying in, we're flying in someone in February to help train and prepare group leaders. That's big time. That's big time. All right, so get ready for that. Well, you should have received, you should have received a little, uh, little card. So please let me know that you did receive one of these. Can you hold these up? These are little postcards that, that you can use to hand to someone to, as well as invite them to come along. 
to come to this dinner group. I want to, cha- well, yeah, I'm going to challenge groups about that later, but keep this on your refrigerator. Start praying about who you'd like to invite. Look, friends, we prayed for 99 not yet found people in our prayer vigil, right? Found people, find people back in November. 99. So there's probably someone you have in mind doesn't yet trust Christ. Think about them, pencil in their names, start to pray for them, start to think about inviting them. Uh, I cannot tell you how daunting this feels. It is, it's actually, in many ways, a big faith risk. Are we ready? Are we not ready? But again, even as pastors, we see, we'll never be fully ready. We'll never be fully ready. But Jesus still calls us to link arms and look outward. So there's that. There's so much I want to communicate this morning. Real quick, a couple things, more things. I'll be, try to be brief. We are sent to give over the top. What is so interesting here, I find, from Jesus, is this over-the-top generosity. Even though people didn't believe, even though he was stunned at their lack of belief, Jesus still heals people. He still cares for people. Did you notice that? He couldn't do big works, but he still healed people. Amazing. His generosity is over the top. He talks about the Father who makes the rain and the sun shine and rain on the, the righteous and the unrighteous. This unconditional kind of love. As a church, God has blessed us. So much of what we've done, one struggle we've had is corporate events. Baptism, potlucks, uh, worship events, family movie nights, sporting events, sparsely attended. One exception was we had a servant evangelism cookout a few years back, which nearly three-quarters of the church at the time attended. We gathered Dart Park, we brought food, and we timed it so we could give it away to people playing with kids at the playground and just attach a little card, which uh, you'll see up here, and I've managed to lose, that says, God loves you, no strings attached. It says, uh, we're glad we had a chance to serve you. It's our way of saying God loves you. On the back, just got a little... Uh, our website, and our church logo. Nothing too oppressive or pushy. And we just share the love of Christ just freely with people. So one idea I had was, you, people do this through giving away water, car washes, and the youth group I used to be a part of, which um, Brett's wife Kim was in way back in the day. We actually went to gas stations, and we voluntarily took a cleaning kit and cleaned out the bathrooms of gas stations for free. All right? And people were like, what? <laughs> what is this? Like, are you damaging? What's the graffiti going on? No, we're cleaning your bathroom. They were totally blown away. We just said, why they asked, why are you doing this? We said, we just feel like God loves you, and we want to share that love. Easter weekend, almost a third of the island goes camping. What an amazing thing. Instead of Easter weekend, we say, come to us, it's Easter, come to Good Friday services, all that. Instead, we go out to the places where people are camping. Public Beach, Smith Cove, East End. We bring bun and cheese. All right, we give it to people. We give it, we give it away. Those sorts of things. In fact, if you have an idea for a servant evangelism project which we can show the love of Christ unconditionally, please let me, an elder, a pastor, your community group leader know. Fifth thing, we are sent to return, refuel, and relaunch. Church community, as experienced primarily Sunday, but also community groups, is a place to return and refuel. After you've been relaunched, after you've gone, and you're sent, and it's draining, and it's hard. We see this, though, this relaunch, this, this returning and refueling. Once the disciples return from their having been sent out, if you would, skip down in chapter 6, down here to verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. 
And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Very refreshing. Right? We are trusting um, the Holy Spirit inside of you and the power of the gospel as we walk in obedience. Not only will we return with the need to refuel, but we will return with others, right? We're going to return with other people who may trust Christ. We want to trust that God will do that as we share Christ with them. Return with other people who will want to refuel and, and grow for the first time. Part of that is having an environment in which to further grow. Uh, it's no secret that for the last two and a half years and last four to six months more intensely, we've been looking as a church for increased facility space because we had maxed out for space uh, and at the time three of our four children's ministry areas. And now we're adding a fifth in a room that has only obstructed views. This place is great for worship. It's great, but we also know we need to serve families for so many reasons I can't get into now, but it's important. And, and Cayman National Cultural Foundation have been so great to us, but though do understandably not wanting to have anything else built on their property over which they don't have control, don't want us to build modular space here. We made the proposal for the second time, and they graciously said no. So Pastor Brett and I have um, done an exhaustive search. We've gone all over Cayman, seen real estate agents, and we've looked at hotels and schools and property with buildings, property without buildings, I mean, out-of-the-box places, um, places with mold, places without mold, all kinds of places, you know, shanties, non-shanties, <laughs> air-conditioned places, non-air-conditioned places, all kinds of places. We narrowed it down to two spaces, a dirt-cheap space to lease over the Merco Center or a big old audacious risk, but we felt maybe this could be it, the Coots Building adjacent to the public beach. In fact, uh, that option was all about the opportunity for, for servant evangelism and outreach, being on the beach where they're going to rebuild this public beach with the water splash park and the, the bike park and all that, opportunities to sh- share with our neighbors and do community and outreach, great opportunity. While that was the, probably the, the option most discussed by the elders, we just didn't sense a readiness to make that commitment. yet. So, this is my way of fitting this into a sermon, I guess, but every option we've looked at costs significant money, and yet we recognize we can't stay in this place long term. So perhaps God will uh, lead us to sacrifice, or perhaps we'll just, we'll just pray for a miracle, or both. We might use the miracle. I was uh, talking with um, Jordan Klum yesterday, who's right in the front row. She was telling me um, how her church, in which her father served as an elder, prayed for, prayed for outside the box for another church just to give them a church building. They said, you know, we haven't prayed that yet. Let's pray everything else. Let's pray that. And sure enough, a church that was dissolving down the road felt, uh, down the road felt led to give them their church building. Like, how amazing is that? I, I, I've never thought, like, just, just pray a church vacates. <laughs> okay, and they give us their building. What a cool story. We're outside the box. And maybe God will use both. He'll use both our sacrificial giving or sacrifice and a miracle. I don't know. But I want to ask you to join us in prayer for that. Um, the disciples 
came back from that trip. And you know what they didn't get? They didn't get to sit there and rest. They didn't get to sit there to have their ideal like spa time with Jesus. Instead, Jesus found a crowd harassed and helpless. The disciples complained, in fact, and we'll look at this later, that, hey, can't we please, please, Jesus, get away? But there's work to be done still. There's work to be done. Even as we wait for a place for God to provide, there's work to be done. As families, even though it's not ideal for our kids, there's work to be done for the gospel. I want to encourage you in that. Pray with me. Father, we recognize this morning, this is probably the the central theme we've sensed, Lord, building up to this year. We've prayed for our not-yet-found friends. We We have met, we have strategized, we have come to this place Father, and you have refocused, I know, my, vision, my, my, my focus on the mission you've given us as a church and the vision, and I hope all of ours, Lord. Help us be willing to step out and take risks to introduce friends, neighbors, coworkers who don't yet know Christ. Help us be willing to do it together, to lean on each other. It's going to be hard, Lord. We ask you for the authority to do it, which you've given us. We ask you for the people to do us, to do it together, which you've given us the power to do it which you've given us. Oh, Father, we pray that we would grow doing it, which you promise us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.